We need to cut outsiders more slack. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. As our study of Colossians moves forward today, first we'll need to acknowledge that there are outsiders and insiders as God sees us. There is a family circle, and the standard is going to be higher for those within the circle. Clearly, we're going to need wisdom because we don't want to wink at sin while we interact graciously with sinners. And wisdom is a central theme of what we'll hear today. Here's Jim with part one of The People of God Are Contemporary. You brought your copy of God's Worth with you this morning. Open it, please, to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. The heart and soul of this wonderful epistle is describing the life that is ours in Jesus Christ. And the Paul, the apostle, is making a marvelous claim for us. He's saying that our new life is none other than the very life of the Lord Jesus Christ. That Christ himself lives within the heart of the believer and that he is therefore the energy or the driving force. He is the one who defines and gives dynamic to life. The life that we experience, the new life, is none less than God's life himself. And that creates a society, a society that is called the body in this passage. And Paul reminds us that each of us who come to know Jesus Christ are called to fellowship and to function in relationship with each other in this body, this wonderful group, this society of people who have experienced God's personal forgiveness and God's gracious residence within their heart. Now in Colossians chapter 4, Paul moves to two verses where he discusses a different group of people. Notice with me, please, in verse 5. Colossians 4, 5. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Walk in wisdom toward those who are on the outside. Remember the little chorus I learned as a child, I cited for you early, one door and only one, and yet its sides are two, inside and outside. On which side are you? Our society worships tolerance. Intolerance is the most gross sin that we can imagine as a social group of people. And yet the Bible will not permit us to be tolerant on this question. There are people who are inside, and there are people who are outside. This phrase is not new to Paul's writings. If you stick your finger there in Colossians chapter 4 and turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul gives an expanded explanation of what he means by those who are outside. We don't have to be confused. And there are a number of characteristics in this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, where Paul sets forth very clearly and distinguishes those that are in the inside and those that are on the outside. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul writes, he says, I previously wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. 
Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. In some previous communication, Paul had expressed to the Corinthian believers the necessity of their separating themselves from people who practice lifestyle choices such as these. They are on the outside. He goes on to say, But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother, named a brother. Anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Now, the difference between the two commands is the relationship that Paul summarizes called a brother. Paul says we cannot separate ourselves from every fornicator, every idolater, because then we would have to go out of the world. That's the way people are in the world. But if someone continues to practice those lifestyle choices and claims to be a brother, to be a member of the society of the followers of Jesus Christ, to be a member of the body of Christ, something is radically wrong. That can't be. And Paul says in that case, if a person claims to be a Christian and continue to practice these lifestyle choices, then we are to separate ourselves from them even to the point of not having a meal with them. We are to isolate them. We are not to engage in continual contact. Now that seems on the surface to be a bit inconsistent, doesn't it? That we are to be more relaxed toward the sins and habits and choices of people who are outside the body of believers and we are to be more stringent and more exacting and more separate from people who claim to be Christians but continue to practice and make those choices. On the surface, that seems to be very, very unfair. But Paul unrattles it or explains fuller in the next two verses. What have I to do with judging those also who are outside? There's our word. Do you not judge those who are inside? That's the opposite. Everyone in this room this morning is either inside or outside. Everyone in Franklin County is inside or outside. And they may be in bed or they may be in a pew. And that may not discern, that may not demonstrate the difference. They can be an outsider sitting in a pew and they could be an insider sleeping in bed this morning. But the Apostle Paul, in this passage, writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, tells us that our relationship with other people is very much determined by whether they're insiders or outsiders. And then in verse 13, those who are outside, God judges. That's a chilling thought. 
that the people who are described as outside are under the judgment of God. Very black and white. You're either inside or outside. If you're inside, that means that certain behaviors will characterize your life. If they don't, then the rest of the insiders are to respond to, be, to your disobedience, your, your misbehavior, by a series of, of confrontations, exhortations, and if necessary, even excommunicate. Pretty serious stuff. But if you're outside, the church has no responsibility Paul assumes no responsibility for passing judgment on the sins of people who are outside. He says that's God's business. And God will judge those who are outside. Who are you going to find outside? Well, he names some of the people here, sexually immoral people of this world, contentious, extortioners, idolaters. Those are some of the habits that will mark a person who is outside, not inside. And those that are outside, God marks for judgment. Kind of reminds you of those verses in John chapter 3, does it not? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Should not perish how? Perish under the wrath and judgment of God. And John goes on to say that if we have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we escape the judgment of God. If we have not turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, then the wrath of God right now abides upon us. So when Paul uses the picture outside, he's talking about people who have not a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. People who know, make no no serious profession at all about being true believers. A people who are under the judgment of God. They're in place of great danger. And should they die in that condition, they would experience the full wrath of God. Should they continue in that condition of being outside, they will experience God's discipline or God's judgment upon them. Inside, outside. Those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, those who have not. Now, when Paul acknowledged to the Colossians that there were people in Colossae who were still outside, that is, they were not believers, he was reminding the believers that they had a a responsible relationship with those folks. He didn't say ignore them. He didn't say criticize them. He didn't say judge them. Instead, he said, in your walk, in your relationship with those who are outside, those who do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, my conduct is to be governed by wisdom. I'm to walk in wisdom toward those that are outside, redeeming the time. 
Now, the word redeeming the time is, a, is an expression that you see every day when you go to the mall, especially this time of the year. End of the year, end of the holiday season, sales are everywhere. The merchants are trying their very best to entice us to come to the mall to shop and to spend. Every woman who's worth her salt is out there looking for bargains. She's scrutinizing the newspaper. She's comparing the present price with the price she saw in July and with the price she saw in September. And she wants to save money. She wants to find a bargain. She wants to get something for less than what it's really worth. What's she doing? She's redeeming the time. The word time there means a period of time, which, which has a certain characteristic, a certain characteristic that ties it together. And during this, this sale season, all of us are looking for bargains. We want to make wise choices. That's redeeming the time. As a matter of fact, the word for redeeming has at its root the very basic idea of buying and selling. It had to do with the marketplace of that day or the mall of our day. It was the activity that went on in the mall as merchants competed with each other for your business. And as a customer, you walked into the marketplace or into the mall looking to make the best, wisest choice of your resources so that you left with more than you brought in value. Interesting picture, isn't it? The apostle is telling the Colossians and us today that while we live in the midst of people who are outside the faith, who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and who find habits and lifestyle choices, they don't think a thing about it. They think it's very normal that they live that way. And they even call it the real world. In that atmosphere, the believer is positioned as a wise shopper. Someone who is looking for bargains. Someone who is going to take what they know or what they have and invest it in order to gain a value, in order to be more wealthy, redeeming the time. Now, what causes this time? Well, the thing that causes there to be a time or an opportunity for this kind of ministry toward people who are outside the faith is that their choices never bring satisfaction. There is pleasure in sin for a season, for a short while. But that soon blows up in your face. You read all the time about people who, who get good educations and and who work very hard at their skills, and it's not long until they have a home in the home in the suburb, and they've got a family, and they've got three cars, and they've got a dog, and they've got 
a vacationing house, and, and they're restless, they're irritable. Why? Is this all there is, they're asking? It doesn't satisfy. The more you get, the more you want. And the more you want, the less satisfied you are with what you've already got. Same thing is true with, with the area of sexual choices. Now, you abuse God's intended direction and use of your sexual abilities. You abuse that. You go outside the limits, and you'll find that there's no satisfaction out there. If anything, that kind of activity demands more and more and more and more. And so you begin to go farther and farther and farther from what is legitimate and normal and natural and God-appointed. And you don't do that without harm to yourself. You see it in the use of alcohol. First, you know, it's just a little sip before supper to calm your nerves. And then you like that feeling. So it's a little sip after supper. And then it's a sip in the morning. And then it's a sip at noon. And it's not long until you are totally dependent upon that false euphoria. That, that spacey feeling. That distancing from reality, that, that intoxication. So what do you do? Well, you soon find out that two drinks won't do it. It takes four, and then it takes six, and then it takes eight, and then, and then the economic woes set in, and, and you begin to make misjudgments, and, and then it's not long until you're looking for something a little stronger. See, there's no satisfaction out there. None. Oh, Satan wants you to think that they're really living, that they've got the life out there. Just the opposite is true. Just the opposite. So the picture Paul would paint for us is that we who are insiders, we who know and experience the fullness of God's love and grace and mercy and peace, have the opportunity to live among people who are desperately looking for reality, desperately trying to find answers to the deepest hungers of their heart and their soul. People that are living lives of quiet desperation and open frustration because life is passing them by and they're not satisfied. There is no peace. So what is the believer's attitude? Not trash them, not condemn them. God will condemn them, not judge them. God will judge them, but rather live among them with wisdom, seeking for opportunities, creating opportunities, wise opportunities to be able to invest in them the truth, enable to share with them God's answer to their deep longing and their deep dissatisfaction and their deep heartache and pain. This wisdom that Paul talks about is described for us in the book of James. Would you take a moment and look at that verse with me? And then mark this and go back later and ponder this. This is the kind of wisdom that is to govern our choices. You'll find it in James chapter 3, verse 17. The verse reads like this. For the wisdom that is from above is first pure. So that means that all my relationships with my, 
my friends who are outside, my neighbors who are outside, my associates who do not know or understand or experience the grace of God, they do not know Jesus Christ personally, that all those relationships are to be governed by purity, then peaceable. Now, then peaceable means that I never sacrifice purity on the altar of peace. I don't have a peace relationship with my with my unsafe friend or neighbor or associate at the expense of purity. Purity comes first. So there are things that he or she will do that I won't do, can't do, must not do. But beyond those issues of moral purity, then try to live in peace, make decisions that are peaceful. You'd be surprised at how many people out there want to fight with you. They, they, they go around really wanting to pick a fight. They, they, they want to take you on. And it frustrates them when they discover that you're not going to fight. And many times Christians get themselves in deep, 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 deep confusion trying to fight, trying to contest, trying to, to prove a point with someone who doesn't have the capacity to understand that. Would you argue with the blind man about what color the sunset is? Would you? Of course not. Wouldn't you think it's stupid to have someone standing here with a, with a body in a casket and, and they're railing and ripping and arguing with this person lying in the casket? The person in the casket is dead. They, 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 they can't respond. They have no capacity for knowing what you're talking about. See it all the time in a home some bright young 15-year-old who now knows it all, arguing with a 35, 40-year-old mom and dad who's been through it all. You know, and at some point you want to go, Pew. that's not wisdom. That's not wisdom. That young person is being fueled by, by energies that are, that are decidedly wicked and stirred by impulses inside themselves that they don't understand either. That doesn't mean that mom and dad says, well, go ahead and do it, it's fine. No, purity comes first. And then after purity, peacefulness. Find the most peaceful way in the relationship to communicate. Why pick a fight? It's too easy to come at some unbeliever with our judgment. Even when we don't approach them that way, they'll often feel criticized and condemned if they have a functioning conscience. We'll need a God's eye view of the situation in order to really help. On today's Right Start, we heard part one of Jim's sermon, The People of God Are Contemporary. If you'd like the whole message on a convenient CD, we'll send it to you for a gift of $7 or more. Our series in Colossians is called The People of God, that 17-CD album can be yours for a gift of $59 or more. Right Start is 100% funded by voluntary gifts. People who appreciate what they hear choose to give so that others can hear and be edified by the ministry. That isn't always easy to do, as we know, so thank you for your part in this. And if you'd like to become one of our partners, you can simply call 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. Do please bookmark our website, rightstartradio.org. 
We give you a link to subscribe to the daily podcast on iTunes so you can have the radio show delivered straight to your phone. Or with just a couple of clicks, you can play or download complete sermons by Pastor Jim or play the radio programs right from our site. You can donate electronically and securely there, rightstartradio.org. Or mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. It's tempting these days, especially online, to shoot down opponents rather than rescuing fellow sinners. Let's talk more about our conduct toward outsiders tomorrow. Please join us for the Friday Right Start. <laughs>